Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than the cartoon version of The Little Mermaid. Pete Andre soundtrack and all. My name's Ash Rose, your host, your guide on this, what is it? The original 1990s football podcast. And we're tying a bow today on the uh, still Alive and Kicking series that we've been producing for you sporadically since the, since last summer, where we've looked back 30 years at the Premier League and spoken to a number of the famous faces from that era that were in that famous advert, the Alive and Kicking advert from Sky Sports, which is spends the names of this podcast. Uh, as I've said on many times, it's a, it's an advert and a, a still the, the poster of what, you know, one player from each squad that I hold very, very dear to my heart. So it's been fun going back and speaking to quite a lot of the guys involved. So if you haven't listened to some of the previous episodes, do go back and listen to them because there's some great stories. Uh, this final episode actually features two players that aren't in that poster, but were in the actual Sky Sports advert. And it's a couple of Spurs, well, God, legends of the era, that's called them for, for sure. So today's show, I included both because I thought I'd tie a bow on it by including the final two interviews that I had. I was holding them back and questioning whether to use them or not, but no. They tell some great stories. There's some great personalities um, from that era as well. So today's episode is a double bonus interview episode before me and Ed try and get a schedule together, which has been difficult lately to get some more uh, episodes in the can for you. Just talking more 90s nonsense, which we will do. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's not a false promise that will happen. And I'm just we're just trying to find the right. Uh, scheduling days and we've got a few episodes in the can already planned so they will be coming but I wanted to fill the gap in between by just finishing this series off and saying we're still here we're not going anywhere this is the original 1990s football podcast after all and so today we are speaking to firstly Paul Stewart who obviously famously scored in the 1991 FA Cup final and has a quite at the moment in the life and kicking advert if you got if you remember uh coming into the Tottenham training ground I think it's the ground actually uh, in a sports car, which we get into in the interview as well. And then we will speak to Darren Anderton. I mean, it doesn't get much more 90s than Darren Anderton, does it? He was at Tottenham from, uh, for the whole decade, or well, previously Portsmouth as well, in that famous cup run of 1992. Uh, but we talk about Tottenham, we talk about England. Do you know what I think about Darren Anderton as well? Not just, you know, I think it's unfair that he got the sick note thrown at him, because actually he played a lot more Premier League games than, than anyone realises if you go and look at the stats. But I always think of that goal in the Umbro Cup against Sweden at Ellen Road that hit both posts and went in. What a goal that was. One of the underrated goals uh, of the decade, I think, uh, in an underrated tournament um, in the Umbro Cup. Bloody love the Umbro Cup. In fact, I've been thinking about this for a while. Now I'm going to say on air, I'm going to tie myself to it. I want to do an episode talking about the Umbro Cup, Le Tournoir, the US Cup, I think it was called, in the, uh, I thought, Graham Taylor era, those kind of in between years when they did tournaments, uh, friendly tournaments, when there wasn't actually major finals on. Maybe we should do an episode on that. Maybe we should, seeing as it's a summer and there's, uh, other than the Women's World Cup, it's tournament free this year. Um, so that's today's episode. Um, I just firstly wanted to, before we get into it, I, I've been, I said this on Twitter though, and, and just a nod to the nostalgic feel it was to the playoff final date in the podcast. Uh, it was this past weekend with Coventry and Luton. Uh, I, I've thrown, you know, two teams that, as Matthew Chris would definitely testify, formerly of this parish, that uh, he, Luton, very much a top-flight team in the early 90s. And in Coventry, throughout the decade, were a top-flight team as well. So it had that really vibe to it. Congrats to Luton being back 
in the top flight. Hopefully Coventry's time will come again. I love Coventry's badge. I don't know if that's a Merlin sticker thing, but, you know, just it's so old school. I'm, I'm not a big fan of teams that changed badges over the years, which is no surprise being a QPR fan as we had an atrocity of a change uh, in the later decade under Flavio Briatore. And the, the current one is, 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 is better. It's not quite the, the 90s one, but it's kind of a, a remodelled version of that. But no, Coventry's badge is one of those that kind of, has not really changed much over the years, much like Southampton's proper gives me Merlin sticker vibes, the shinies who you obviously get for the badges. So hopefully just for that reason alone, they might have a better go next year in what will be a horrible championship. There's some massive teams in the championship next year. It doesn't bode well for, for my lot, but we'll see what happens. Anyway, let's get into this final episode of Still Alive and Kicking. Here's me speaking firstly to former Tottenham and Liverpool in the decade. Uh, Paul Sh- and Sunderland, if I remember rightly, after Liverpool. Uh, Paul Stewart and former Portsmouth, but mainly Tottenham and England midfielder, Darren Anderton. Enjoy! Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. I just wanted to start by asking, you know, we're going back to sort of the summer of 1992. Where was Paul Stewart at that point? Also, I remember you vividly from scoring that famous goal in the, in the 91 Cup final. What, what was that like for you? What are your memories of that moment, um, firstly? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it was every every boyhood's dream to play in an FA Cup final back then. Um, do you know, it was when the trophy was a coveted trophy. And, yeah. and do you know, it was a special day. It wasn't just a match. It was once you'd got through the semi-final, the lead-up to it was all... There was a buzz around the club. And I'm not just talking about the players. Anyone that worked at the club, from the lady that was washing the kit to the staff on reception to everyone just had this buzz about them and as players you were you were involved in a lot of interviews making songs yeah suit fittings yeah. and all sorts of things that that just added to the the special day and of course <coughs> the day comes along and you know the ITV or BBC are there from from when you're having breakfast to to get in on the bus to travel into the ground. And, and, and that's, you know, and then, you you know, you go down Wembley Way, which was absolutely awash with fans. Yeah. And it was just what the FA Cup was when you were a child and what you dreamed of. So, you know, it, it was special uh, because of the trophy being so coveted. Mm-hmm. And, and to score in an FA Cup final, I mean... You're on a list well, of yeah. very small number. What's that like as a player? Uh, again, you know, another cliche, but as a, as a child, that's, you know, and when you dream about playing football, then you dream about scoring in a cup final um, at Wembley. I was fortunate to, um, to score a goal, which got us uh, back in the game. Um, and I think after we scored, we, we looked the stronger team. We, we, we looked like if there was anyone going to go on and win, it would be Spurs, and uh, thankfully I got a flick on it at the uh, near post from a corner, and and Des trying to um, trying to stop. I think I think it was Gary Mabbott behind him, 
put his head on it and it went goalwards and in the top corner. So not such a great memory for Des, but put us 2-1 up. And then we just celebrated into the early hours of the morning. I can't even remember what time. I know we went to bed really late, but we had to be on the bus then at something like eight o'clock in the morning from from a hotel in the, <coughs> in the centre of London to go and do the, um, the parade. Yeah. And there were a lot of hangovers and a lot of, uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of tired, tired footballers on, on that. But then you just got another win because, you know, you turn down into Tottenham Way and, and you see all them hundreds of thousands of, of, of people that just line the streets. You just, again... You know, you were running on adrenaline and, and, and uh, obviously happiness from, from, you know, from winning a, a major trophy, which it was. And you, I, I always, I'm always fascinated by that cup final, obviously the Gaza moment. How did that affect you and the team during the game? And then, I mean, how quickly after the game, amongst those celebrations, were you checking on Paul to see what had happened? Yeah. Well, what we did from, from the, when we won it, we went straight from yeah. Wembley to the hospital where Paul was, took the trophy in. But I think, you know, my story's been well documented and and I suppose personally when Paul went down and, uh, you know, I could see the lad's shoulders drop, you know, and to be fair, he'd been a talisman all the way up to the final, culminating in that great free kick against Arsenal. Yeah. Um, and I could see that, that, that the players were a little bit, deflated that Paul was going to have to go off. But I'd, as I've said many times, I'd been through so much in my life, um, you know, and at a great cost to get into that position. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to let it go lightly. So um, I thought I'm going to do everything I can in my power now to, to, to get us back in this uh, game. And fortunately um, it happened. And I, uh, as you well know, I scored a goal, an equaliser, and had, had an assist, as it would have been, um, on the the winner. And, and you know, the rest is really history. Um, but like I say, I I, uh, I I paid too high a price for for the outcome uh, as a child, and yeah. and. Uh, you know, it, as great a memory as it was, um, I suppose I didn't enjoy it as much as others unless I was paralytic, to be honest, because of the demons that were uh, that were around my head. Mm, yeah, I've got actually your book um, next to me. I'm, I'm mm. about to read it, so I'm really interested to to to, to to read that from from your perspective. So we will talk about that a bit. And um, just fast forwarding to obviously the, the next summer, which was 1992, and so the Premier League is coming in, this big shiny new league. Sky have taken over, obviously. And this is where we get to this advert. I mean, how did you get involved in the advert? You're, I mean, your bit's very different to the you know, yeah. main bulk of it. How, how did your part get played? In, well, in the, well the, the, the club just said that the Sky had asked for certain individuals, myself, Gary Marbert, um, to take part in the in the advert for the new Sky TV um, football that was what you know as you know Sky TV took over the rights to to show the football and which was then the the big change really when yeah. football started to uh, 
to really take off. Um, so we were just asked to go to the ground in the afternoon after training, and I had no idea what what was planned. Mm. When uh, when I got there, there was the camera crew. There was obviously directors and whatever, and they just said, "We want you to um, we want you to drive a Porsche <laughs> up to the gates." Um, we want you just to let on to somebody, you know, and I think it was, it wasn't de- definitely who, who, because we didn't have anyone on the gates then. So, um, excuse me, I'll just get rid of that. Uh, we didn't have anyone on the gates then. So they put somebody there, if you will, uh, so that I'd pull up and just smile and wave. Uh, and they gave me a pair of Armani sunglasses as well to wear. Um <laughs> The the ironically, um, I wasn't allowed to keep the Porsche. <laughs> but moreover, they even asked for the uh, Armani sunglasses. No. Back. Oh, how dare they! And I, when I think back now, I, I guess the players would have had maybe one or two Porsches and yeah. a, a choice of um, a choice of uh, sunglasses to wear. And then what happened was, I I I done my filming for the bit that they wanted me to do. And I knew that Mabsy was on the pit, pitch, Gary Mabbitt doing the filming he was he was doing. So I actually walked down the tunnel and they got all these young schoolboys in and they were to do something in, in Gary's bit. But as I walked down the tunnel, they all came running up to me to, to get my autograph, yeah? Well, the director clocked it straight away and went, well, yeah. we can use that. So got the kids to go back where they were, me <laughs> to come back out the tunnel and and obviously film the bit where they run up to me and I'm signing a book. Well, that was never in the script. Ah, that, okay. just, that, just, um, that was just something that happened and they, they saw it happen and unfold and thought that it would be good to, to use in the, in the advert. So that's, that's why the second bit, um, was was shown in the advert because of uh, something that just happened off the cuff. Because mm. I don't think did Gary Mabbert ever. I don't think he made the cut in, in the end. Because I don't think Gary's actually on the advert. Because Darren, I spoke to Darren Anderson yesterday, was, and and he's in it. Was um, it was it Darren that was on the pitch? Yeah, it might have been Darren Anderson. One of the players. Yeah. Oh, it might have been Darren then. I, I, you know, <laughs> that long ago. And yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I haven't I haven't viewed it for for a long long time. I didn't watch. Because I got I got um, quite a few messages saying that it was on um, a program. Yes, it a week was on, or so ago. Yeah, it was on the uh, BBC yeah, did, Premier League. Yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't watch it. So, but yeah, well, yeah. So the the, the, the youngsters were there really for um, for Darren um, to you know to be filmed in his part. But like I say, they came running over to me as I come out of the tunnel, and the director thought that it would make good um good viewing in the advert so they uh they they got them to go back where they were me to walk back out and them to run over again so yeah it was uh i don't know it was you know it's different because we didn't do adverts for bbc or itv really you know um they just you know when they started the programs it was just um it was just Old old games, you know, they'd put games of the past on and goals and highlights more than anything. 
this was the first time that they decided to promote it through through players through through different clubs. So, you know, it it, it, it was interesting. You know, I mean, it's not like I've done a lot of um, acting, if you will. <laughs> we definitely look like the pop smell. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was just, it surprised me really that they they, uh, they asked me to roll up in a Porsche, mm. purely and simply because that wasn't really who I am and yeah. who I was, you know, as an individual. You can imagine if it was Gaza yes. or... Gary Lineker or somebody like that, but it wasn't really who I was. So, I mean, we did it in the first take, so I must yeah. have some acting skills. <laughs> <laughs> and when, what sort of time of this? Because I'm interested in the timeline, because you obviously moved to Liverpool before the, the, the actual season started. So yeah. when, when did you film this? Was that kind of in the summer or was it in earlier in that year? It was in the summer, yeah. It was, it was in the summer before, uh, before pre-season started. Really, you know, in, in, in the pre-season because I I did most of the first few weeks of pre-season and then the game started and I uh, I was in Scotland. We were playing Hearts in a pre-season friendly when I got the call from Terry to go and see him in his room. He told me that he'd accepted a bid from Liverpool and that I was to fly and meet Graham Souness at Gatwick Airport um, that sort of that day before the game. So that's when I flew off. We did the deal uh, in, in a hotel at Gatwick um, and I, I joined Liverpool. Had the advert come out then? Because I'm always wondering how much stick you get. I don't, I don't think that, no, I don't. I think it might have been after I'd, I'd signed for Liverpool, yeah. but I'm not 100% sure because, um, you know, I'd, it may have been there or thereabouts the time because when we, you know, we're playing Hearts, which would be only about two weeks before the season starts, because that was when the pre-season friendlies got got you know serious and you were you were getting match fit. So it it might well have been out because I'm sure they would have cut me yeah. from from being at Spurs yeah. if, if I was at Liverpool. So um, or asked me to do something at Liverpool and so I, I'm sure it probably was out but uh, you know timelines now I'm uh, I'm 57 sure. 57 next month so my memories doesn't yeah. serve me too well did you get any stick from your teammates because I think you know I spoke to a couple of the lads you know there's a shower scenes there's things like that I mean your yeah. scene particular being as cheesy as it is it, did you get any stick it, well yeah I mean they, we had a lively bunch at Spurs then yeah. you know you talk about Gaza, you talk about uh, Paul Walsh, uh, like called Steve Sedgley. Yeah. Um, there, were, there, there was a lot of banter that went on, so I'm sure, I'm sure some would have been levelled at me. But like I say, you know, my memory doesn't serve me too well these days. Um, so I, I couldn't tell you. But knowing the bunch of lads that were uh, were were at Tottenham. Um, I'm sure I came in for more than uh, my fair share of stick over the. Uh, I know I, <clears throat> I often get a message um, when it when it is shown or somebody puts it on social media yeah. asking me, "Did they allow you to keep the uh, Porsche?" <laughs> that's the that's the most question that that's I get asked, and and I say, no, "Never mind the Porsche; they wouldn't <laughs> even allow me to keep the sunglasses." 
Oh, that, that will definitely go in the book for sure. And, and <laughs> just moving, I mean, that season, so you were at Liverpool. How did you find that? Was that a big move for you? I mean, obviously Liverpool were Liverpool, you know, in the early 90s, we were still living in a world where Liverpool, before that Yeah, it was, it was for me, you know, for all intents and purposes, it looked like on paper that it was going to be the best move possible. Yeah. You know, I was coming back to live up north uh, where my roots are, joining the biggest club at the time. Yeah. Um, just uh, outside circumstances really made it that it didn't didn't work out for me. And, you know, I'll always regret that it didn't work out because I think I was good enough to have played more games than I did for them. But I'd, I'd already gone into self-destruct mode at the time when I joined Liverpool. And uh, unfortunately, you know, what I was doing off the field wasn't conducive to to be able to to play week in, week out at that level. I'm always interested as well to know, like, for you, what what how did, what, what did what was the thing that made you notice that football was changing in that decade because to the Premier League? Because I always think 90 to 99, the landscape's very different. When did yeah. you, what made you notice that we were entering this kind of new, shiny Premier League? Yeah, I, I think probably, probably the, the, <coughs> the media interest. Yeah. What what it was like before was was we would finish training and probably the day before a game, usually there'd be a load of pressmen waiting for us to finish training and they would grab an individual and and sort of talk to them about the up and coming game, you know. And yeah. and that would be all the press, you know, from from every newspaper back then. But then it started with you know, interviews on, on, on Sky, it started with a lot more magazines and a lot more, you know, the media interest sort of trebled um, with Sky's promotion. So that's what was more noticeable. I think as a player, you know, we still trained the same, you know. Um, I do, I, I, I was told that um, for the first game which I appeared in um, on Sky, was that the BBC used to have 15 cameras um, around the stadium. I believe that Sky had 52 cameras around the stadium on their very first game. So, but we wasn't, we wasn't made aware of that. You know, it wasn't something that somebody would say to us. So I guess from the footballing point of view, we didn't really notice anything. It was really from a media circus you know, point of view, and that, and, and you know, you were you were asked to go and question a sport. All different things that that were spin-offs from it that became um, became you know where where footballers became sort of personalities on TV as well. I think, and obviously we've seen you post football, you know, come out amongst the scandals that have happened, and you admirably yeah. book and stuff. I mean, for you, without digging too deep into it, obviously, because this isn't what the book's it's about. It's all right. Don't worry. It's, it, out there in the, uh, it's out there in the open. So I ask, I answer any questions surrounding uh, my disclosure in November 2016. It's, I was, it's interesting. It's like, how are you feeling now as a, as a relief that that has come out? You've managed to do it as a book as well. And is it made you a happier person that, that, that has come out? It, it, it's very difficult for me to say that it's made me a happier person. You know, it's something that was kept inside for an awful long time, you know, 42 years. 
and I, I, I work within football now, delivering um, sessions to the academies for the EFL. So I go around to the football clubs, talk to the scholars, the coaches, parents, anyone that sort of um, has a touch point with, with children. Um, so that's the important work for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as as far as my own well-being, I have good days and I have bad days. Yeah. What I'm able to do now, and the, uh, the book will probably tell you in greater detail, is I manage them a lot better. Yeah. In the past, if I was struggling, you know, my first thought was drugs, drink, anything uh, to sort of to get to relieve the pain. Mm. I think. Whereas now, you know, I can I can identify when I'm struggling and speak about it. And, and, and that's probably, so it's, it's, it's a process of recovery, I guess I'm, I'm trying to say, and I don't expect too much and I don't get complacent, but I do an awful lot of work with, with, uh, with the EFL now, which, which, you know, it's emotive because the subject is emotive, but it's, I believe it's making a difference. And my reason for coming forward was always, what can I do um, to make a difference, to make sure that this never happens again, yeah. um, to make sure we're protecting, we're protecting the youngsters. And that was really why I came forward, um, so that I could, I, could, I could look at safeguarding the landscape and, and, and then hopefully offer something with my lived experience and then my knowledge that I've gained since I came forward because I've done all the uh, the education around safeguarding as well. Brilliant. Well, Paul, it's, it's so admirable what you're doing and I'm glad that you, you're processing it as, as well as you can now. So thank you very much for, for talking to us. I just wanted to leave you with a question. For, with I always ask people that have played with him because I, I think it's just an enigma. What's your favourite mm. Gaza story? There must be a, a Gaza story that you can, uh, you can tell us. What's your favourite I think the favourite one would always be the ostrich one. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard it. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, do you know, people, I think it's more the shock when you tell it that people don't think it, it really happened. It, it almost is a story yeah. that you couldn't make up. Yeah. But, you know, I was there and I was, I was, I was given the job almost to be Gaz's minder, you know, whenever he wasn't, on time or where you know if he wasn't at training for a certain reason it was always Venice would be steward where's Gaza you know because he knew, he knew that we would always be together and that particular day I could see Venice was getting irate because all the other lads were, were, were there in a circle waiting to start training and he'd do a little bit of a chat about the session and then look at me what's happening with Gaza and I'm saying well he left when I left so and then, thankfully, we could see him in the distance walking onto Mill Hill's massive expanse of training pitch, you know, because it was a school. Mm. Uh, but it was just the brown sack that, that this fella was holding, which was squirming and moving, and, and nobody expected what, what, what came out of, the, um, out of the sack. And then you, you start to think, don't you? And even I think it, how... How can a zookeeper possibly go, yes, we'll take an ostrich to training with a football shirt on for you? Do you imagine it now? It'd be the biggest scandal on the front of the papers. Yeah. You wouldn't, 
you know, but uh, somehow back then it was uh, it was acceptable. <laughs> um, the hardest thing was, and I don't think I don't think it's mentioned very much because we talk, talk about the story. But once this ostrich was let go, you know, twenty-two players trying to catch it to get it back into the uh, brown bag was probably a sight to behold yeah. because half of us were frightened to death of it anyway. Yeah. It was running round. It was running round at pace, and I suppose that's part of the story that that, that isn't mentioned a lot. Is you know, can you, you can imagine England captain Gary Lineker, Gary Gary Mabbott, You know, these are all respectable people running around trying to catch a uh, an ostrich. <laughs> Just needs the Benny Hill music underneath it, doesn't it? Yeah, it did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure some. Uh, yeah. I'm sure somebody can recreate it with that music. <laughs> brilliant. Paul, thank you very much for your time. Um, good luck with your book. It's been my pleasure. Uh, yeah, it's been brilliant. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Now, um, I just wanted to start really by asking you, just pre sort of that, uh, that summer of 1992, um, just a couple of tidbits from where you were as a player at that point, really. Obviously, you came to the forefront in that famous FA Cup run with with Portsmouth yeah. and Arsenal at Liverpool, I mean, do, do you still hold those those memories in high regard? What are your what are your abiding memories of that kind of rise to stardom for you, as it was? <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. I mean, I think that first real excitement of being a professional footballer that I had that year at Portsmouth was beyond anything I could have expected in my first full season, and um, you know, for me as a child growing up. You know, FA Cup semi-finals were live. The FA Cup final was live. So to be involved in one of those, you know, well, in the end of a couple of those games and to score and off the back of that, you know, obviously it wasn't just because of how I played in that game, but, you know, obviously the year I'd had that yeah. Spurs then came in and offered the, you know, the big transfer and this whole new thing of it's going to be called the Premier League. And I mean, I honestly, I didn't care. I was just going to play the top. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, of course, off the back of that, um, being asked to do, you know, other things. You know, Nike wanted me to wear their boots, um, that wanted to be part, asked to be part of this video, video, which actually I think I was away on holiday up until probably a couple of days before pre-season. So when they actually did the, the initial thing, I was away for it, but they wanted me to be in it. So I did something on my own with them, which was then um, fit, fitted into the, uh, the advert. Okay, cool. I'm eager to find out that. So we'll go to that in just a minute. And in terms of you, I mean, that you forget, I think people forget with you how sort of short a period you were at Portsmouth and how your rise was so quickly. Did you, was it hard and was that expected of you at that age? Did, did you get kind of some inkling that you knew bigger things were expected of you? Because it was kind of just two really full seasons you had at Pompey, wasn't it? Before that, that move to Tottenham. And, and I mean, completely out of the blue for me. I mean, not yeah. obviously. Um, my first, when I first broke into the first team, you know, the year before was around, you know, November or something. And I played maybe, you know, five or six full games around Christmas. Then I was back on the bench and then maybe another five or six games around March, April, and then back on the bench. So I didn't set the world on fire, but I was, it was just a, you know, I was making progress. And then Jim Smith came in that summer and just said, everyone's getting a fair crack, you know, Prove to me you're good enough, and there was obviously a lot of good experienced pros there that 
you know, especially in front of, you know, when I was a right midfielder, there was Mark Chamberlain, there was Steve Wigley, I mean, top, top players. Um, so, you know, I didn't really think anything of it. I knew that I was now involved within the first team squad and that felt great within itself. And, um, you know, Jim Smith came in and, he, you know, he just, I mean, I just loved him from day one. Just the fact that you always knew where you stood with him. He's just such a good guy. Um Always, in, it would always encourage you, but at the same time, he'd tell you when you 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 know you're doing it wrong. You know, you knew where you stood with him. Um, but that year was just crazy. I mean, I, I, you know, I was pl- paid pretty well, no doubt about it. And then I, I just always remember the we played an FA Cup fourth round game against Leighton Orient at home, and it was uh, it was freezing, and the, the, you know the the pitch was like, it was it was ice rock hard ice on one side and so a lot of the games were were actually cancelled that day so when you know that game went very well for me and I scored a couple of great goals and nearly got a hat-trick and we won 2-0 that those goals were replayed on match of the day and there was more coverage of it because there weren't that many games on that day so straight away I was kind of thrust into it I suppose and people straight away started talking about me and being you know these goals so from that point onwards, the director's box at Portsmouth was full of these scouts that was coming to watch, you know, us, you know, the young players, but also the experienced players. I mean, John Beresford was there, you know, Martin Cool, people like that, you know, then there was sort of set myself, Andy Orford, Daryl Powell, um, all players who, you know, as it turned out, you know, would be able to go on and play it in, in yeah. the Premier League. So um, with that came a, a little bit of pressure, I suppose, because, you don't think anything of it, but then you, I mean, you're, I'm, you know, 19 years old, I was reading it and I was saying, oh my Lord, this is insane. And, um, you know, in a way it did play on my mind a bit and my game towards the end of that season. And um, then the FA Cup semi-final, which was just such an experience. I mean, we all know what Portsmouth fans are like and the way they just lit up <laughs> Highbury that day. Yeah. It's just Scenes that I think that you know will, will live with me forever, and um, it still gives me goosebumps when I see it or talk about it. Um, you know, Portsmouth Football Club is obviously very, very close to my heart. So I was only 20, didn't really want to leave. I thought that obviously at this point, I'm now thinking I'm part of a really good team, and we, you know, next year we'll hopefully get promotion or, or a good chance. But then, you know, this I got the phone call from Jim Smith, he said, you know, the club had accepted an offer from Spurs and it was a, a big one mm-hmm. and uh, and I my first reaction well what do I do and he said will you go and speak to them he, um, you know he just said that Terry Venables oh. I completely trust to get to get you to be the player that I know that you're you're more than capable of being and um, you know like thankfully he was pro- proven right and you know once I went with my dad up to London and met, met um, Terry there was, a, yeah, there was no doubt I was just sold. You know, didn't have to discuss figures or anything else. It was um, it was amazing. Was there any other clubs? You mentioned there were scouts. Were there other clubs interested in, in you at the time? Or was it Tottenham who, who came to the... There was always chat. I mean, I remember playing the semi-final day. Like, oh, you know, this could be Darren's new home, blah, blah, blah. Arsenal were interested. Yeah. And then uh, Liverpool was a big one because uh, we played them in the semi-final. I remember myself and Andy Orford being asked questions. Um, you know, well, you know, Liverpool won you both, and if you know what, what, what would you say if they came in? And we both, and we were in, interviewed at the same time. I remember coming out afterwards, and we we'd have this game of golf on a Wednesday before these big cup games, 
And I remember speaking to him, what do you say? What they'd say? And he, he said, oh, they asked if I would join. I said, no. And I said, oh, God, yeah, me too. So we both said no. And then the next day, it's like the papers, you know, and just did an awkward snub to oh, yeah. It was just, yeah, we were saying the right things. Yeah, totally. So like, yeah. The guy who was looking after me at the time, Steve Wicks, oh, he phoned me, he was going mad. He said, well, you know, why would you say that? Well, I said, well, because I mean it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm happy where I am now. That's I just want to play football, I'm playing the FA Cup semi-final on Saturday. Do you not think I'm nervous enough without dealing with <laughs> yeah. this shit? I mean, never you know sat in front of that many press in my life, of course. So um, it was it was surreal. It really was, and um, just you know, of course, you know, it all worked out well. And um, you know, many years later, there was a couple of opportunities to possibly go back to Portsmouth and. Um, just such a shame that it never it never materialised. Well, you're there. You're at Tottenham. You've moved. You've moved that summer in 1992. As you said, you were on holiday. How did then? Did you first hear that Sky wanted to do something? Were you were you then their initial first choice? Because as the Tottenham representative, was that there? Were you the? First? I think so. Yes, because I I know I was in Florida, and um, you know I just remember you know obviously I was enjoying my holiday, but then I was you know the daunting thought of coming back and going up to Tottenham and basically leaving home in Southampton and it was you know, while I was away, I think my mum and dad had gone up to to London with my agent at the time and found me a, a flat to go, come up and live in. So it was, uh, it, it really was, you know, full on. But then, you know, Leon, my agent was like, yeah, you know, you've been asked to do this um, thing. Obviously you're not around, but they really wanting you in it. So um, when you get back, there's going to, you know, this thing I'd never done any sort of <laughs> adverts or anything like that. And I wasn't even really sure what it entailed, uh, but it really was very easy. I was, you know, a few hours of making silly faces, walking past cameras, doing some sit-ups, and, <laughs> and, that, and that was about it. But um, yeah. it was, put it together like magic. Yeah, it's very well edited, because I, I wasn't aware of that, because I did wonder, because it's why you obviously in the advert, but not in the final, the famous player squad photo that Gordon Jury is in as, as Tottenham's yes. um, representative. So they obviously edited it out. So were you just in a room with a load of extras at that point, doing just sit-ups? Was that no, I was, I was literally in a room... I think I was in a room on my own and they, they somehow edited it. Ah. It came out like that. Then I did another one bit with Dean Austin where yes. we were keeping the ball up with, and kids came and just swarmed us as we were doing it. Um, so, you know, there was a, and I think there might have been an, even another one where I, I was hitting the volley, which you don't even see as me, but it was my, I remember doing that on my foot as well. So it was definitely, I mean, it's a great advert. I still, you know, hear that song, and it, it, that's all you think about. It's it's, it's amazing, really. Did, does Gordon Jury know he was second choice? <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, at that point, I'd never even met Gordon Jury. I mean, so I mean, it was like I really didn't. No one, no one cared. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it was one player from each every team, team wasn't yeah. it? I think so. Um, but yeah, that was that. That was funny, and of course, you got paid a little bit of money for it, which was all, that. Also, was you know, very foreign to me, but um, it was, uh, I mean, you don't think about it, but then now when you look back, it's not, you know, it's so nice to be part of what is the start of the Premier League. And it's, th it's funny actually, because there's the main advert, and there's obviously your bit, there's also the bits with Paul Stewart, who was at Tottenham at yeah. the time, 
driving like looking like a movie star on his uh, sports car. So there was there's more it was in it than there was any other club. So I don't know if that happened by accident or Sky because they were more local to Tottenham. Not, I don't know if that was yeah, maybe. And I remember, I, I guess, I guess then our, you know the stadium, the front of the stadium was always very iconic. I thought yeah. it was very ahead of its time and coming through the gates. And of course, I mean. I think three weeks later he joined Liverpool as well. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's true. There was a few of us in it, which was which was great. And what did the, your teammates think when the advert came out? I'm always interested to see the stick that you, you were given. But as a young and sort of new player, were were they a bit sort of softer on you, or did you get stick from from your teammates? There was a little bit of stick. I, no, I think that was actually the one bit. I think I would have been petrified if I had to go and do it with all those other. Pros yeah. from other teams. Yeah. I think as I think that I would have I think I would have declined probably. I would have hated it, you know, <laughs> being in a room with all these superstars and yeah. you know I was very quiet and just coming up to London. So the way that it was done actually I think definitely made me feel much more comfortable than if I had to go and do it in a room and act as such <laughs> in front of uh, those uh, those guys. Mm. Lots of lots of shower scenes as well. I spoke to John Salah. Exactly. Yeah, I did. That, that was a bit weird. I'm glad I wasn't in them. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're hitty, hitty little weasel. <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, going on to that season as well, the first season of the Premier League again. I mean, you were kind of thrown right into the deep end because you played like forty odd games that season. Did you expect to to play that many games in that sort? You know, the first season, this big shiny new league. And, and how happy were you to be part of, of this, you know, this Tottenham team, which was eventually under the two caretaker managers, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I, I did definitely expect it to play because I knew that there was like a big transfer fee back then. And I was like, because yeah. I remember I'd had a conversation with what the guy who was looking after me, Steve Wicks, around, um, around the, I guess it was around Christmas. And I was... There was talk that Liverpool and Spurs and other teams, and he said, "Well, and he said, well, don't sign a new contract because you can go free." And I was at my actual thoughts were, "Well, no, because I've seen lots of youngsters leave a club like this, yeah. go to go somewhere and sit in the reserves for two years. I'd rather stay here for the next two years, thanks." So no, I will, you know, I'm going to sign a new contract here, and if one of those teams want me, they can actually buy me. So that if they do, they'll probably buy me and spend money and think, "Well, we spent money on him. We've probably got." A, play him or give him a chance so that was actually my thought and yeah. that's exactly how it turned out and when I went there you know I think two million pounds was a lot of money in those days I think Sheeran went for 3.3 that summer yeah. but yeah. there was anything else above it um, and I was still so young I was just 20 um, so that definitely a lot of pressure I felt um, and so but I didn't start very well and I'd, I Struggled. I actually had a hernia that I didn't really know about. Um, didn't even know what it was, but I had an ache, and I wasn't. I just wasn't my, myself. And yeah. fortunately, you know, a couple of months into the season, after I'd been struggling week in week out, coming being dragged off. Um, but even when that was happening, the fans were fantastic to me, and could see that something probably wasn't quite right. And once I had the operation and came back just before Christmas, then I was flying, and it was it was it was amazing and. You know, Teddy was, you know, scoring all the goals. I was setting up all the goals. We, the team went on a great run, got to another FA Cup semi-final, which was obviously a disaster to lose to Arsenal. Yeah. Um, people were talking about me, you know, in a, in a really positive way. I think I always remember Andy Gray had me in his team of the season and things like that just on Sky again. Just all these 
you know, things that made me feel great about being there and that I belong because after the first two or three months, I really thought I could be on my way back to yeah. wherever it may be. So um, a really daunting season when I look back on it, but I think it made me grow up. Yeah. And, tenfold. I mean, it really did. I mean, that, that's one of the things I always look back on when I think about football. It makes you grow up really quick. You leave home very, very early. I mean, I live in America now, obviously. And when I explained that I went to Portsmouth when I was 16, they just they just can't get their head around it, how that's how we, how we do it. You know, no, no college, none of that. Um, and then, you know, big transfer to Spurs when I was just 20. So um, an amazing year, amazing thing to be part of. And I think you could just sense that, you know, I mean, it was my first year at the highest level, yeah. but it felt like something very special was happening within the with the league, mm. you know, with all the live games and being part of, the, of all that and, you know, being one of the up-and-coming stars of it. It was very special. Mm. When, when I think of that early period of year at Tottenham as well, the, the term famous five always comes into my mind as well under Aussie. I mean, what was that like to play in, especially with Jürgen as well? I mean, that must have been, a, although defensively, obviously it never worked out, but as an yeah. attacking, you know, fivesome, that must have been so much fun to play in. Yeah, it was. Definitely was for the five as well. So it was um, unbelievable. But it wasn't just five. It was about eight that would bomb forward. <laughs> yeah. Um, me, you know, Colin Goldwood and I think Sol and Stuart Nethercott were, were, were just left to get get on with the defensive side of it, even though we all, you know, you'd work hard. It, it was, I don't know, when I think about when I watch that, the, that Barcelona team that everyone loves and it was that yeah. complete yeah. and total football, that's what Aussie was all about. And, you know, if we just were you know, a little bit more mindful and a little bit more solid as a, you know, a, a back five or back four. Maybe we didn't need, you know, both fullbacks to be bombing on within that system with all those quality players going forward. Then it might well have been a little bit more, uh, it might have worked a little bit better. But the whole point, you know, Aussie wanted attacking football. It was exciting to be part of. The players we brought in were, were unbelievable. I mean, you know, we had, Teddy, we had Nicky Barbie, myself, we had Jürgen Klinsmann and Illy Dumitrescu. I mean, Gika Popescu. I mean, it was, for me, it was amazing to be part yeah. of. And pre-season, that pre-season, you know, there was not a single game that kicked off on time because crowds were trying to get into the stadium to watch us. It was, it, it was unreal. And, you know, at that point in my career, I'm now playing for England. And, yeah, I mean, I could, couldn't have been happier. It was definitely, you know, the most enjoyable time of my career. The, the Klinsman transfer is one of those I put down and it's a question I've asked everyone during this book as well, like the changes that, that came in that decade. Klinsman to me is, is one of those kind of markers in the sand where the league was changing. Yeah. What was it like from the inside to know that, you know, this he was there pretty much in his pomp, you know, off the World Cup in 94. No. Did that, did it feel like you that this, like the league was changing because Tottenham could attract a guy like Jurgen Klinsman? Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I think that within the club, you always knew what it was all about. And as a kid growing up, I remember the Aussie Ardiles or Mickey Villa. Yeah. So it felt like a thing that Tottenham did. It felt like Tottenham were a, a very, yeah, I don't know if it's fashionable is the right word, but very popular, very fashionable, played great football, flair players. Um, and to be now be part of that and uh, be part of a really flared uh, and unbelievably Flair team was was unreal. It was um, like I said that that preseason, the the difference 
was was incredible and the media spotlight yeah. on us was real. I mean, I thought at that point, you know, I'm playing for England, I'm done, you know, doing great and everything else that, you know, that's unreal. Then, you know, to hear that Jürgen Klinsmann is coming, I mean, wow. I mean, I thought it was a wind-up. I mean, I'm pretty sure I was on holiday and I think my mum might have phoned me and just said, do you see the news? Which in those days, I mean, you're on holiday, you didn't see any news. Yeah, um, totally, yeah. It was I just didn't believe it, and it was you know first day of preseason. You know, you're I mean in awe of him. There's no doubt about it. I mean I've just been in America watching that World Cup, and so um, to then have him come through the you know the training ground gates and the and the manner in which he just handled himself was incredible. I mean you really thought he's a he's a superstar, yeah. but once you met him, you realised that. He didn't see himself in that manner. He just saw himself as a footballer doing his job and um, mucked him with the lads. You know, we go to the little cafe after training when we trained at White Hart Lane and then the big fry-ups. He was right there with us. Just, you know, I mean, there's, there's the foreign, I mean he, we, he definitely put his foreign influence on us in terms of, you know, how we trained and how yeah. we acted before games. But... You know, when we went for a little fry up after a game, maybe you know, after a warm up, if we did a warm down or something, he would he would be right there with us. I mean, not sure if he ate quite as much as always, but he definitely was in there and uh, just he embraced everything about being at Tottenham, and that's what um, you know I love about him the most. Uh, just before I let you go, I just wanted to to ask you about England. You mentioned there, I've got Darren. I've got this vague memory of you that when you were called up for your first debut, you did an interview for. One of the news channels. You were in a hospital. Have I completely made this up, or it was no? That, yeah, did that happen? No. Yeah, no. So I, so my brother had been at Portsmouth as an apprentice. Had been released. I remember Steve Perryman coming up to me and saying, "Yeah, how's your brother doing?" Because he remembered him for some reason through wherever Stevie P was before with that youth team football, watching my brother and just thinking he was a good player. And he said. I said, me, but I said, ah, it hasn't really worked out for him. I said, the new team manager there's, I don't, you know, just hasn't taken to him. I think it's been a bit difficult for him following me d- down at Portsmouth. I said, well, get him up here. Come and, have, come and train here. You know, let's have a look at him. And I went, oh, okay. So I told him, they brought him up and he um, he did he did great for the, the first week. So he played in a game. They said, yes, we'll have him back next week. There's a game on Saturday. Yeah, you're playing. Um, played, soul played in the, in the new team. So it was that, that that same group. We were playing Chelsea on the Sunday. And so he was, so we were trained on the Saturday morning at, at uh, Mill Hill where the game's going. I remember us training and all of a sudden I hear this, like a noise and then a silence and then walking over and realising it was my brother. Who was there. And he literally broke both bones, Tim and Fib in his leg. Um, Ozzy and Stevie B and the club was so amazing about it all. But of course, so I, you know, off to the hospital and um, just remember that the, the next day we played Chelsea, we lost 4-3 in the last minute. You know, obviously the Monday I went back to the, the hospital to see him and that's when um, Dougie Livermore said to me, I think you might get a good bit, a little, finally you might get a little bit of good news after, um, you know, your, your, your horrid weekend with your brother in the Chelsea game. And uh, I got the phone call and that, that was it. So everyone wanted to come and interview and I'm like, well, I'm at the hospital. And um, so they came and interviewed me, which was kind of a nice thing for my brother as well, yeah. that he was being interviewed and everything. And the, but it, to me, when I think about football, that just sums up football, the highs and lows, you know, yeah, from one totally. 
Yeah. You know, to watch my younger brother go through that experience. And I had, you know, got the best news of my whole my life being told I'm in the England squad for the first time. So, yeah, you remember that and yeah. that very well. <laughs> you know, you just something just sticks in your mind. I don't even know why it's stuck in my mind. But when I, I was thinking yeah. about when I was speaking to you earlier, I was just like, I swear I remember that. So I'm glad I wasn't going mad. And I'm oh. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty surreal. I mean, there were camera crews everywhere outside. I remember looking outside the uh, the hotel window it was it was it was madness and my brother and it was you know my brother was so down in the dumps but it was a really nice thing for him so just finally on in England, England as well I mean you had some absolute highs of England I remember I was there at Ellen Road when you scored that famous goal in the Umbro Cup that hit both posts one of my oh, favorite yeah yeah, yeah definitely own, like, obviously the World Cup in ninety eight what 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 for you was the highlight you know we all still see you almost score at Euro Night Six in the semi-final. What yeah. always stands out for you when you think of Darren Anderson playing for England? Um, I think in an individual selfish way, scoring a goal in a World Cup yeah. is the, the moment that I always treasure and um, that that single moment of when you grow up as a kid, that's <laughs> when you're smashing the neighbour's fence down, kicking yeah. a ball, and that's what you're, you're thinking about. And um, that just... I mean, it's a dream. I mean, scoring the World Cup. So that, for me, it most certainly would be it. But of course, I will never, ever forget the summer of Euro '96 and everything that was that that was all about. And you know, people still talk about it with, and it just puts a smile. People always talk about it with a smile on their face, yeah. and I think yeah. that's the biggest thing that I will always remember. And it could, and we, and we, you know, it was a disappointment in the end. You know, we we should have won the, the semi-final. My, me in the post, Gazza's missing the one by, you know, a millimeter. millimeter. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just um, amazing times and an amazing team, a group of people and just showed what, you know, an amazing footballing country we are and the support that was generated behind us, which was then repeated this summer, um, was just amazing to see. I know, I think kids of this summer will look at, 2020 like 2021 like we look at year 96 yeah. it's just kind of the same vibe although I'd argue that the, the culture and the music was better back in 1996 but yeah I think so final question Darren and it's I mean going back to what I said about Klinsman for you during that decade I mean you kind of entered the Premier League pretty much you know at its beginning you'd only been in football the last couple of you know for a couple of seasons but what what made for you what was the changes that you saw in that kind of first sort of decade the Premier to know that football was making this massive, massive change, like a whole new ball game, as the advert suggested. Well, it's funny you say that because I think one of the first changes was names on the back of shirts yeah. and, and having your number for the year, like a squad type thing. Um, then, of course, all the live games, then the foreign in, influence. And Jurgen, without doubt, for me, was the biggest change. Mm. To which Arsenal then went down the same route with Dennis Bergkamp, yeah, um, and that and for me those two are still the biggest for me the the, the biggest changes. You know, obviously we you know being Tottenham, I, that's what I saw, and Arsenal being our main rival, seeing what they're doing as well. Um, that's for me. You know, Jurgen is the one that started it, and I think yeah, also probably have to give credit to uh, Arsene Wenger um, as in terms of the coaching side of it that the changes he made to the mentality of that Arsenal squad and that back four that then went and played until their you know, mid-30s and at the very highest level. You know, that's that. those were the changes and 
um, it became a worldwide league based on, you know, Sky's influence. Totally. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time, Darren. Uh, what are you up to in, in California these days? Are you punditry or are you just... Um, well, I've been doing all sorts of this, you know, obviously trying to sort this out with you, but the Zooms and everything that have been going yeah. on over the last year have been crazy. Um, I was doing doing best of stuff at Spurs still and do, like enjoy doing the TV stuff. But my wife's from here. We got back here in um, Christmas Eve, funny enough, when I got my green card and just obviously had baby boy Jack um, nearly five months ago. So um, pretty happy being here doing that, playing, playing plenty of golf with about 20 minutes from Pebble Beach. So um, when I do come back, in the future more and more, which I was doing, you know, back and forth a lot, doing lots of, you know, TV stuff and things like that. Um, but at the moment, uh, been, been here since Christmas Eve. So it's all been, all been Zoom, which I guess pretty much what, you know, most people have been doing. Yeah. Hopefully things change and, you know, um, get back to normality as soon as possible. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for talking to me, Darren. As your cheers. Take it easy. And you, mate. Thank you.